0: Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria and your host. Today in the uh, Roleplay studio I've got Karen Twelves, my very first guest from season one, if you don't count my parents of course. Um, So hi Karen, how's it going? Good, thanks. Hi. And uh, being a 42nd episode, do you think there's going to be any uh, larger answers for people um, on life, the universe and everything?
1: Oh, gosh,
0: I don't know. I think people are definitely going to be sitting on the edge of their seats now. So it's been, uh, well, it's actually almost a year since uh, last we we spoke. So what's been going on in a role-playing sense for you in that time? Anything that's changed about any answers you might have given from the first uh, time we recorded?
1: Gosh, I don't know. I mean, this year's been really big for me um, in terms of the Improv for Gamers workshop. We put it on three times this year, January May and then October mm-hmm. at Big Bad Con and it was, it was really fun and you know I, I, I learned a lot and it was, it was a really great um, collaboration between um, myself, Mia, our instructor Matthew Klein and Sean Nittner mm. it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun it was a really cool project and I, I haven't done a lot of event planning before and it was, it was an interesting kind of peek into what it's like to wrangle a bunch of people into a room together and run an event right so uh, yeah so I don't I don't know if we're going to repeat it with the same amount of times next year but I I think it'll definitely it's something that'll definitely come back um, to Big Bad uh, 2013 so that's kind of been my my big achievement this year which was it was a lot of fun it was very rewarding
0: Um, and have you seen any fruits come of that yet
1: I mean, I've I've heard a lot of good things, and it, it sparked a lot of really good conversations afterwards with gamers, um, you know, with people that, that I that I knew and people that I had just met that weekend. Um, I, I I'd like to think that all the people that were there, it seemed like. It, there was a really good mix of people who had done improv and people who hadn't maybe hadn't done it in years and some people who were active and some people who had never done it at all. So it was really exciting to introduce some people to that and see them get kind of really excited and take more risks and things like that. It was also really interesting to hear people talk, um, you know, about how they can bring this into their games and how they want to kind of drag their friends to an improv workshop now. So I, I I was really excited to kind of see how what we had introduced to people was going to, to spread back to their gaming groups hmm. from there.
0: Can you give me and some just- examples of how uh, people had discussed using it or what, how they felt it was going to alter their game or the way they played? <sighs>
1: really went into it thinking I'm going to take this and I'm going to go make my game better I mean that's really what we were hoping but what we really you know wanted was to also show people you know that there there's a lot of lines between gaming and improv and, and how to be a good improviser is something that you can take classes on a lot but how to be a good gamer is not really something that you can take classes on mm. a lot mm. you know <laughs> so but it's there's so many totally of the same skills. So we did a lot of um of just being of we did a lot of, of short form games of loosening up and being kind of silly, but building ideas together, building characters and, and worlds mm. and um stressing the idea of being collaborative, of um accepting other people's ideas and making them better, not kind of shooting them down and forcing your own idea. Mm. And by the end of it, we were doing scene work. You know, everyone was, was jumping up and doing two or three-minute scenes uh, with very little input. And, and it was really amazing just to see everybody's creativity and everybody was so active and, um, and engaged. Mm. And so it was really cool to see people who had never done improv before come away really excited about improv. Mm. And it was, like I said, it was interesting to see people who had done improv before, to see it it kind of translated into how it applies for gaming and um, the discussion came up from that
0: right one of the things that uh, I discussed I forget exactly who it was was with perhaps it was Jason Morningstar episode 37 um Oh, I think it was the But one of the things we were talking about is whether somebody coming to a game like, say, Fiasco or a, a GMless less uh, game um, or a playerless game, as Sean likes to call it, um, is that it's often a little more difficult for somebody who's played very structured, turn-based sort of role-playing type, type, or type, or role. You know, role playing, role playing, role yeah. playing games. If you know what I mean, like strict delineation between GM and player, um, find it right. a little more difficult to take up a Fiasco, say, than somebody who hasn't done role playing at all before. Have you, have you encountered that, or do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Oh, for sure. I think if you're going to go into a, a game like Fiasco, for instance, which we used um, as as a really good example for improv and gaming. Um, you have to be very confident with with yourself and and trust the other players you know you all have to work together to make some a, a really great idea um follow through to fruition so you have to be very accepting of everybody's everybody's ideas that they bring to the table and so it's it's hard cuz you also something that you work a lot on in improv is not abusing people's trust is mm. not Putting people in a compromising situation because of the, you know, you have to say yes rule. Like, haha, you have to say yes to whatever I offer you. So I'm going to endow your character with something that's going to be embarrassing to you. And it's going to be funny for me and funny for the people that are not you mm. uh, because we will all laugh at you being uncomfortable.
0: What does that mean to you, the just say yes, mean to you in terms of uh, a game and how might how that might translate to something that actually would happen in play?
1: Well, it doesn't necessarily mean saying the word yes, but it means accepting that other person's idea um, and, and not shooting down their idea. And so the, the improv rule of yes and means I accept your idea and I'm going to build off of it. Hmm. And and I'm going to add to it, and um, I'm going to be really excited about this this gift that you've given me. Right. Um, and I'm going to bounce an idea back to you, and you're going to take that idea, and you know together we're going to build something.
0: Hmm. And how does that? Uh, just trying to think about a, a concrete example now. Um, because in fiasco you've got a choice to establish or resolve. Um, how did you find that doing the improv workshop and and using this this idea of sort of trying to help people learn, I guess, how to be gracious role players and to how to put the story above uh, their own sort of goals they might have for their story? Like, how do they uh, go together for you and when teaching people?
1: funny because fiasco is this give and take of control if you say well I'm going to establish the scene you don't get the choice of the outcome but if you say well I want the choice of the outcome then you don't get to say where the scene starts hmm. so I've, I've, I've seen players who are kind of new to fiasco or you know new to that type of give and take of um, you know your control over your outcome and, and kind of want both. They, they're like, I, I want to set it up and say how it happens. And so they'll kind of be in the conversation for both of those things. Fine. And have a level of trust of like, okay, you can set up wherever you want to go and we're going to decide something that's good for the story and we all want everybody to be on the same page with it. Or we're going to set up a scene for you that's not putting you in a ridiculous situation, that's not in, you know, pimping you out or, or, or putting you out in some way that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, so so there there's a level of trust in that sense of being able to work with the people around you. It, it's highlighting your character, but it's not your scene. It's not you telling everybody what happens and how it re- is resolved.
0: Right, and that I guess um, it would probably be accurate to say if you find you're playing with people. Um, that are not prepared to, to do that and I don't mean like they're not prepared to you know relinquish their control but are putting you in one of those um, odious sort of situations for your character then um, maybe they're not the people you should be role playing with anyway right like that game requires that trust and you would, before you would embark on such a thing you'd need that right
1: it does I, I think you need to be comfortable um, calling people on that very quickly but politely and mm. You know, I, I sat down, uh, you know, for, for a fiasco game with some people that I'd never met before. And I think the very first scene they were talking about um, to because to, to they were talking about date raping my character about basically slipping or something in her drink so that she didn't know that it wasn't her husband who mm. impregnated her. And <laughs> God, but, you know. <laughs> it's just this weird idea that came out and we all kind of sat there for a second we were like ew no no let's not not let's not do that and we all agreed oh god no that's that's a horrible idea so we backtracked mm. um, it was really important to jump on that really quick and not say how dare you you really gross person mm. but just that's not a, a great idea mm. um you know, that's not the best idea. Let's think of a better idea. So it's hard because there's the, you know, there's the yes and you have to accept people's mm. ideas. But there's the trust that no one's going to throw out an idea that makes you uncomfortable. Mm. So you have to be okay policing yourselves as a group and, mm. and also being comfortable saying, okay, you're right. That's not going to work for everybody. Let's pick something else.
0: Right. Right. and One of the things that I was was thinking about. It goes a little bit along those same those same lines, um, and in preparation for for an interview that I'm I'm hoping to get into in a, in a couple of weeks, um, it struck me that while there's a continuum, um, between, or sorry a spectrum I should say between really tactical games and really uh, sort mm-hmm. of freeform games, it struck me that there's actually a second. Axis and this sort of goes a little bit to what I talked about with a number of guests before which is you know What it is that you want to get out of a game like some games Deliberately set out to plumb emotional depths, you know like to, to to get at emotions and some games um, Sort of like if that comes up then it comes up, but that's not the the purpose of the of the game uh, Do you see that as something that exists or is that just purely something that a player brings to a game?
1: Everyone has to come in knowing what type of game they're playing and where they're they're pushing for. And I mean, if if you know the, um, you know, if you know the system, then you normally know what type of game you're going for. Now, I just started a um, dungeon crawl classics art the RPG game,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is is strictly like we're going through a dungeon and we're killing stuff and we we have just ridiculous roll tables of, of like if you if you roll poorly then you don't do much if you roll well you you might like cause a small crater in that dungeon with like your awesome powers there's mm. no character development in that game but we all know that going in and I, I have a lot of fun playing it um, just for that kind of beer and pretzels kind of feel mm. um, I love mm. the people that I play with and, and it's you know that's a lot of fun if you're going into a uh, you know a more what people you know would call an an indie game um then you're probably going to go for more player versus player emotional driven conflict Mm. as opposed to someone's attacking you conflict
0: right right so um you mentioned uh indie games and that's uh, one of the questions i wanted to to ask you which is what's your definition of an indie game um i
1: i think it's narrative goals instead of building experience goals right you know oftentimes in indie games players work towards you know they work towards creating a story rather than getting cool stuff um and lots of times they work towards creating conflict instead of avoiding it Mm -hmm. you know instead of defeating it they you know you work to kind of create a really juicy conflict and then play that conflict out and see what happens Mm. um I had a friend that used to call it emo porn, Mm. which is that you just like, you know, this horribly, really tragic, emotional, um, high drama game, Mm. um, which I think indie games go to. So that's, I think, one one way of defining it. I think also a lot of people think of an indie game as anything that isn't the the traditional standards of games that have been around for Mm. a long time.
0: Right. Yeah, I would like to investigate that further because that's actually quite a, uh, an interesting idea. Um, it hadn't occurred to me that the delineation might be between um, getting experience where you're, there is a um, where there's a goal which is actually not part of the game. Uh, which is not part of the story, so to speak, in a non-indie game. In an indie game, the, the story is the goal, and, and by that I mean, you know, you like you say, getting experience, your character going up levels, um, you improving your character. You know, that is the that is a goal. I mean, perhaps it's not the only goal, but that is the the goal. Um, but for an indie game, it's the story that gets cr- created. Now, the two are not mutually exclusive, of course, but a care a more um, perhaps a more traditional game has a, um, you know, has that really carefully laid out advancement of of your tool, right, which is your character in the game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well played, you. I should have to think <laughs> on that further. <laughs> so, how many role playing books do you own, and what was your first?
1: I, I am so ashamed to admit, I don't own that many role playing games. Right. Um. I've never had a, a very large disposable income, and so I've always relied very heavily on other people to buy the books. Mm. Um, that being said, when I when I did the, the first books that I bought were probably in college, which means that I was playing a lot of World of Darkness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was probably some sort of werewolf supplement, like the. Like the where coyote the nuisha, or something. Mm. I mm-hmm. I don't know why I ended up having. I had like the the nuisha and the and the crow one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. Unfort yeah, uh, embarrassingly so. It was probably that. <laughs> I
0: don't think there's anything to be embarrassed about. I think that uh, that yeah. that the White Wolf games sort of were an important um, sort of. I would not want to say stepping stone because that implies there's a there's an ultimate goal. But I think it was an important. A point in the evolution of, of role-playing games, because while the no,
1: no, I, I I agree with you. It was it that was what really opened me up to the idea of, of um of a, a plot-driven game, you know, a, a narrative goal as opposed to a um, kind of just a building XP and getting cool stuff goal. Not to say that there wasn't all of that in there.
0: No, yeah. we're both being so careful with our with our language here. Um, but I'll just give you a paint a little picture for you. Um, I was on the internet the other day, as I sometimes am, um, and <laughs> it struck me that I was uh, perhaps a bit disconnected from some of the battles that were being fought in in role playing, and I and. Part of that disconnection, perhaps, is because beggars can't be choosers. You know, like, I didn't have a lot of, I didn't really have people to argue with, so it's best not to, to you know, like, 88 to 3 other people that were role playing in, in my small town. But have you experienced much of that? Or were you very aware of that sort of, you know, like, you're doing it wrong type thing going on with role playing?
1: I don't know if I ever had anybody tell me, you know, you're doing it wrong. I definitely wanted to say that to people. I actually do remember in college once, and, and I can I can talk kind of crap about somebody because it was so long ago. Um, no <laughs> one's going to listen to me. That was me! Um, I was playing a mage game, and there was a character who was playing a hacker, what? who basically used the fact that he was a hacker to mean he could fix everything instantly. So he mm. would constantly, the GM would give an obstacle, and he would say fixed it, I did it, I hacked it, Mm. And that was clearly supposed to take us a little bit more time to sort out. And so I could see the GM being kind of a little like, oh, okay, I guess we're really rushing through this.
2: Mm.
1: So, you know, seeing the, this player and, and kind of feeling like, dude, you're not really letting the rest of us do anything. You're just declaring that the problem is fixed. And you mm. didn't even really say how how it was
0: fixed. Right yeah that uh i think that's definitely doing it wrong but i think that that goes back to what you're saying previously about you know being a gracious player and allowing people the opportunity to you know to to actually enjoy vicariously you know what their character is going to to do so i think that unequivocally i think that or at least i'm prepared to to stick my neck out on this one and say you know like that person is doing it wrong you know, because it's not just your game I it's it's everybody's game right
1: yeah I think I mean anywhere that there's a rule book there's gonna be people interpreting the rules differently so mm-hmm. yeah if you're saying well you're running you're running the combat wrong in that system I can see people getting very heated about that mm. and I think especially if you have a, a rule book and you're used to playing games that are very turn-based and and you know dice heavy, that it can be frustrating to have people that want to do it differently or just want to kind of play a little fast and loose with your mm. rules right. and have their house rules
2: mm.
1: I think people, you know, they, they love the thing that they love very dearly as they know it
2: mm.
1: So sometimes it can be hard to you know, if, if you're mixing with other people, you know, who are having different experiences mm. I think sometimes people will say well I really don't I don't like this game you know I, I played this game and I really hated it and um, and people say well it's because you're doing it wrong mm, mm. And it's, it's gonna make anyone defensive
0: yeah for sure for sure yeah and that was uh, one of the things I was discussing with um, with Sean Nitner on episode 40 was this um, idea of you know playing trying to play a game which you know set t- you know ticks all the boxes um, for the things that you're looking for um, for a role-playing game, and I was thinking like his um, Bernie theosa game that he was playing with um, that group. You know, he was he was lucky to have a, a group of people who all wanted the same or, or similar things from a role-playing game. But oftentimes you don't, and I've sort of alluded to this before, is that oftentimes you don't get the opportunity. To play with people who want to play the same type of game with you, and so just getting the opportunity to role play, regardless of what it is, can can be enough. So that um, I think the 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 ultimate rule, like I think, is um, I've, and maybe you can help me. Out. What's what is rule zero? Is it like do what's best for the story? Is that what that is? I don't. I've, I've seen it written, but I'm like I'm too embarrassed to ask anybody what rule zero actually means. I'm assuming it means do whatever's the most fun. But is it? Is that what it is? I don't know. <laughs> Oh my goodness, we're, we're both, we're both they have no idea what we're talking about.
2: Shh. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I haven't heard that, that term specifically bandied about, I, you know.
0: Let's pretend that it's perfect. role zero. Let's pretend that is rule zero. Do whatever's best for the story. Yeah. <laughs> so, so rule zero being, I uh, think
1: That's, that's a different way to play, is do what's best for the story versus do what's best for your character.
0: Mm. Yeah, Either yeah
1: ways of playing
0: that people disagree on i think mm. yeah i don't know if they're necessarily mutually exclusive though are they no but no not at all it's nice when they overlap but but yeah so that idea of um you know being sure that i mean it's it's just like being a good host right like if you, you want to make sure that everybody's Having a having a good time, and if you're doing stuff with your character, like just say for example, you're hacking everything in sight, and it's and that's the end of it, then you know you're not really giving other people the opportunity to have fun, right?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Alrighty. So, um, if you could only play one more game, now you can decide what that means. You're about to be executed, or whether people are going to forget what role playing is. But if you could only play one more role playing game, uh, what would you play? Oh gosh, I don't
2: know.
1: Um I think if I could if I could replay a game, like if I could live through a game that I played once before, I I know what my answer would be. I mean I, I think I'd probably have to just because I'm really enjoying it right now, um, and I want Jason Morningstar to like me, I'll say fiasco. <laughs> um specifically specifically there's a playset called Nut People, yes. which is all about the you know, the um Kind of cutthroat, dying agricultural pecan industry, mm. and um, I, I played a game of that. That was just the, the best, the best game ever. Um, and I actually played it with with Sean and, and um, my good friend Mia, who I've introduced to gaming over the you know the course of a year mm. and a half. And the two of them got into a, a shouting match where they were both talking over the other one and Mm. it was it was just this really cool moment to watch these Mm -hmm. two people playing their characters and getting so into it and having this like perfect very real looking Mm. argument
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and it it was just a really fun story Mm. I think there's something really absurd in in taking something trivial so seriously so I think the idea of yeah, having your your pecan farm and dealing with people coming in and stealing your pecans or mm. a rival pecan farm, yes, lends itself to to be um, to. You know, there's just something really
0: funny in kind of the ridiculousness of taking something so small so seriously. Yes, oh for sure. And that uh, when I read about that, I've not actually read the yet, but as soon as I heard people talking about it, I immediately started thinking of um, Have you do you watch the um, the Christopher Guest mockumentaries? I do, yes. Yes, and one of my I think it's a tough call for me, but I think my favourite is probably Waiting for Guffman, but. Mm. Um, it's, <laughs> it's brilliant. I love I love Corky. It's a recommendation. If you like, if you like Spinal Tap, in the same vein, there are several other films. Uh, you know, mm. that's, that's good. But anyway, so just thinking about the the nut, and thinking about Best in Show. Um, and the what's what was his name? Is this Harlan Pepper? Is that the name of uh, Christopher Guest's character? And he and he names nuts. Yes,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, His hobby is is is. Running through
0: all the names of nuts, and it used to drive his mom crazy. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and so when I heard that there, I'd say I'd just be so hard pressed not to play, a, you know, a cardboard cutout of of Harlan Pepper, you know, talking about the the nuts and, and naming off nuts at random points during the story. I think that'd be or talking very <laughs> talking very earnestly about the various you know qualities of, of pecan and stuff. As, as you say, I think that that you know, like the big problems. Um, if you're one of the people who, whose problem it is, right? But from from having that advantage of being disconnected, at least in some way, from from your character, just enjoying that absurdity, but but being able to to translate your own experiences for, for you know for real problems for you, it you know, transfers pretty easily to the real problems for these for these pecan people, or these nut people, right?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm just yeah. imagining. <laughs>
1: But yeah, it, it, it was a really fun place that and I, I keep pushing it on people. It took me a couple tries to finally get people to play nut people with me. I, I tried bringing that up a couple different fiasco games, and everyone was like, "No, that sounds really boring." So <laughs> I, I, I proved my point that it was really really fun, and I would t- I would totally love to play that again. Hopefully, have another um, equally
0: have a second bite at the pecan charged small
1: stakes game yes oh for
0: sure that uh, i I don't i think you'd be hard pressed to find a bad fiasco set i mean it might not immediately appeal to somebody but i think that if you've played the game even once it's i think it should be apparent that no matter what playset you choose it's going to create a fun time right yeah. So shame on those yeah, people that are not playing nut people. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what causes a role-playing game to die before the story finishes?
1: Let's see. Um, really long combat sessions. I, I was in a con game once that went about 20 to 30 minutes over mm-hmm. because the final combat scene... Was still playing out, mm. and the and the TM still, you know, had all of of his um, you know adversaries rolling separately, and oh, nice. it just kept. It was dragging on, and I was like, I'm you know really hungry. My blood sugar is getting low. I'm getting very cranky now. I want to leave. Mm. Um, so that actually didn't die before the story finished. It, it just wouldn't die. It should have <laughs> died. It should have died long ago. Um, So I think any loss of player interest um, will will make it die if if for whatever reason a player suddenly doesn't feel emotionally invested and doesn't want to, you know, push their character any farther Mm -hmm. gonna run into a problem.
0: Right, and do you have any rules in, in games that you play in where you can't talk about other games until the one that you're in is is finished, or at least not during that session, only afterwards, like for fear that people are going to be, oh, look, that's something new and different that I can try, because people are always looking for something something different, right? I don't know.
1: I think um, I find that outside of con games, but even then, I end up playing a lot of short four-hour games, if I'm playing with friends, we also have a limited amount of time Mm. so we try to keep the tangents of any type to a minimum Mm. um, unless we're kind of taking a break from everything and then we'll tell stories about other games and stuff like that, but if you're in the game you try to keep everybody focused on what's happening right there, just because we only have so much time to Mm. play together
0: Right. So, so your your bottom line then is that what causes the role playing game came to die is when the players lose um, investment in the in their character.
2: Yeah.
0: Do you think it's yeah, worse I mean, to lose
2: investment?
0: Like- mm-hmm. Do you think it's worse to lose investment in the story or in your character?
1: I think in your character because if you don't care about the you know, the plot, your character still can be interesting. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's so hard because they're so, you know, connected. Mm. But if you don't care about your character, if you don't care if your character lives or dies or succeeds or fails and you can't, you don't care about um, their contribution to the story, then you have really no reason to say anything to declare mm. any actions if you're like well whatever
0: yes yep for sure so talking about con games and you know what makes a bad con game what uh what for you makes a great con game
1: uh what makes a great con game mm. well this is something i've been talking with people a lot about this year i don't know why you know the conversation came up but it's having, even, even if you're playing a con game where you make the characters at the table, you need to have a very strong frame mm. for why everybody is more or less a team. You know, right. I'm, I'm always really drawn to the um, the heist game, games and the detective games and things like that, because well, one, they're normally, anyways, going to be pre gen characters for a con game so we don't you know, potentially waste time cause sometimes it can drag out or, mm-hmm. or you know, and spend more time on care gen Mm. but um you have a reason already why not only how you know each other and if you care about each other and why you're in the same room together but like why you're all moving towards the same thing
2: right Uh,
1: so I, i find that some games that you make the characters at the table you can end up Kind of being at a disadvantage because you either haven't linked everybody together strong enough, or you all start kind of in different corners. You know, you all start Mm. going off in different directions. Right. So you have the 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 kind of play and find out uh, method of running your game, but you don't have a solid beginning. The characters are just going to all go in different directions, and you're going to play and find out everybody's turn individually.
0: Right. With
1: very little character interaction, because
0: they're just going to go off and interact with NPCs and do their Mm. own. Yeah, that's really a tough, um, for me at least, when I sit down to a con game, if I'm making a character as part of that Mm -hmm. con game, um, including everything that they're doing and sort of most of the things that they are, then that's a really tough sell for me, because I'm like, you know what, I don't really care what character it is that I'm, playing in terms of what their skills are and so forth, I wanted to get to this this cool story that you want to, you want to tell and I'm prepared mm-hmm. to go along with, you know, like if you've got a reasonable reason for the characters to be together I'm not going to push against that because I'm not trying to explore the nature of that relationship, you know, like, like you say, I'm drawn to those sort of detective games or heist games or something like that because you've got a reasonable reason for being together and there's a story about to happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you have to make a character and come up with character motivation and so on and so forth, that that can be good. Particularly if you're trying to learn about, like, part of the playtest is to not sort of part of the part of the convention game is to learn about the system. You know, it's kind of almost like a demonstration type thing. Then you know that can yeah. be that can be cool too. But. You've, like you say, you've got to really tightly rein it in, right, to make sure that, first of all, it doesn't take too long, and second of all, you don't create this cool character, but then you're kind of like, well, I don't really want to go in any of these directions, and that's not going to be true to this cool idea I had for my my character. And did, did you come up with any sort of, not necessarily concrete, but certainly some perhaps helpful suggestions that a, somebody writing a con game might be able to sort of consider before embarking on that route?
1: I, I have to admit, I did something kind of sneaky at a con game once. Um, and the, I, I love Apocalypse World and the and the Apocalypse World inspired games. Um, I, I'm I really dig Monster Hearts. And the first time that I I had the fortune of meeting Joe McDaleno was at an event at Endgame, and he was running Monster Hearts, and I jumped in as like the fifth person because he said he would take a fifth person. Mm-hmm. I was already feeling like I was kind of imposing Mm -hmm. and before we started even kind of picking skins Mm -hmm. I said hey wouldn't it be cool if we were all in a band together right and I and I feel particularly sneaky because I I Knew I was going to do that regardless of what the setup was. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you're, all zomb- you're all zombie hunters, or you're all like mine rescuers. Um, <laughs> there are but people I, stuck I, down a mine, go get them out.
1: But I knew that, like, you know, those types of games, they often start out with something really like you're, you know, you're all in the same class, you all live in the same holding, you know, mm. you're all. In a tavern in a village, and it doesn't have the same legs as saying you're all part of a team somehow. Mm, yes, and yep. About how fun would it be to have a Monster Hearts game where everyone's in a band? Right. So I kind of forced it to happen, and I felt I felt kind of guilty about it, but it it was so cool because as we were making our characters, that idea of we're in a band. Helped inform everything, and then it was like, oh, who's who's what? Oh, the werewolf is going to be the drummer. Mm. Uh, you know, the vampire is going to be the lead singer, obviously. Yes. Uh, we that uh, we actually started with the the ghoul had been kicked out of the band because he had died, so we thought that he had ditched the band mm, and sure. make him audition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was really mad, so he started. Going after the um, you know one of the other characters at the table because they wanted to be you know new
2: voices. Right. right?
1: So it had that extra layer of this is why we're all a team. Mm. You know, yes. If if you're not if you're not going to all be superheroes or detectives or you know criminals working a job together, I I think that sometimes. You know, even if you're saying we're gonna, you know, we're gonna make our characters up at the table, we're gonna make our story entirely organically with us. You need a team, yes. and so you need to give that idea to everybody. Is you know, and however you want to frame it, is not just how do you know each other, and you know, what are your, what's your your relationship or your strings or you know, mm. every, all of those different variations on that of do you like or hate each other.
2: Yes.
0: But
1: why are you invested?
0: In each other. Yes, yeah, and I think that a band, in that respect, is is perfect because you know there are so many tropes that people can can dig into when it comes to to bands. But um, mm-hmm. this, the idea of you know the music man, that's what keeps us together. You know, it means yeah. that that you are you know you are a tight team, but you know like there's all there's unlimited um, precedents mm-hmm. and like I say, tropes for people to to hook into that. good enough reasons of why you are still together right
1: yeah and it's it's the fact that you all have something that's very important to you i mean we had we had different goals you know we didn't want the basis back in he did he ended up um he we actually we ended up getting a little kind of 80s and we ended up summoning satan by accident through a really (laughs) vicious solo um (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's so 80s. I, was, I used to do that every weekend. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but it was it, it, it was really great because it gave us all um, a reason why, why this one thing was important. And it was important for different reasons. And we disagreed. And we right. fought. Which gets that good indie game flavor of player versus player conflict. Right. It wasn't like we were all like, we all have to be heroes and save the day you know, if you're playing, you know, a band of superheroes. hmm um, but it was still a reason why we were all invested in what the other person was doing.
0: Right. Okay, we're well, talking about dead people. Um, if you could role play with four people, living or dead, um, who would it be and why? and you can't choose deceased families so that you can see them again. Um, and you can't choose game designers and you also can't choose people that you role play with right now because obviously those are the people you'd want to role play with the most. So four people that don't fit any of those criteria.
1: Oh gosh you know i've I've had a lot of fun in the last two years introducing improvisers to role play gaming right? Um, and i've I've successfully, Um, you know brought two very talented improvisers over to to gaming that they're doing it you know regularly and Mm -hmm. I I see them at the conventions and stuff and so that's really awesome so you know in this case they were my friends I knew that they were cool people but Mm -hmm. being able to introduce people to gaming who I know are
0: really going to like it and be good at it. So what about Michelangelo? (laughs) Sure Michelangelo. And why would you choose Michelangelo? It's such a strange choice Karen.
1: (laughs) Any sort of famous actor, you know, in introducing them to gaming. I don't know if Patrick Stewart has ever played a role-playing game, but that would be awesome. Right. Also, I just watched all of Star Trek Next Generation, so I really can't stop thinking about Patrick Stewart. Oh, who can? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, So I think any any really great actors would be a lot of fun to introduce to gaming for the first
0: time. Okay, so Lindsay Lohan.
1: Sure. she's She's up there with the greats. Uh, she can uh, stay sober through the whole game. That would be the, the
0: <laughs> and, would be and not not make up with people's dice and things like that at the end of the session.
1: <laughs> um. Oh gosh. Well, cool. it's Kevin Spacey. He would be insane.
0: What about Gary Oldman? It's
1: too insane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what you're basically saying is, you your most enjoyable experience would be to introduce actors to it. Um, but yes. then have them actually enjoy the experience and want to go on doing it
1: yeah yeah
0: All right, well that's it's very good of you you're, you're thinking about the, the, the health of the hobby in general rather than well, for your own so, selfish gain
1: also I think if you're playing a narrative game and you're playing it with some really um, talented actors are, and talented improvisers it's gonna be a really fun game I mean playing with any any of the people who have um been part of the Upright Citizens Brigade I mean playing with like Amy Poehler would be so cool
0: so why Amy Poehler? (laughs)
1: Um, because she's very she's a very talented um, actor and she you know came out of improv training so I think that making a story up on the spot as you would in gaming would be super easy for her and I think it would just be a really fun experience to be able to be in a game with her right Um, I, I think that the hard thing about saying oh like a famous actor is that doesn't always mean that they're that um, they're going to be a good improviser. You mm-hmm. know, if you want the script and solely a script, you can actually be pretty nervous working
0: off script. Mm. So you've got concerns about the acting chops of or the improv chops of some of the uh, some famous actors, then? Yeah,
2: Maybe.
0: is. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've got to up their game if they're going to get into a role-playing game with you, then. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, if hell exists. Um, And you're sent there contemned to play a certain style of game for all eternity. What would it be and why? This doesn't mean I don't want to play Dungeons and Dragons. I mean like what what would the game be like? But I I think I sort of know your answer to this, but I'm going to ask a second part of it anyway. So so what would the game be like?
1: I mean anything that takes away my agency and My ability to affect my character Okay which is different than I think the give and take in like fiasco that I talked about earlier mm. about either you set up or you resolve not being able to do either of those things basically kind of sitting there and, and being told when to roll and even if you're even if you win you know you, you don't quite win because the GM's gonna make you you know make such a large concession that it, your victory doesn't even matter anymore mm. uh, that would greatly upset me Right. And, and if I felt couldn't, if I, if I didn't have any um, agency over my character.
0: Right. And so who would you be playing with?
1: <laughs> that guy from college
2: who was so <laughs> <laughs> Um All
0: right. So we talked about uh, villains last time. Who's your favorite hero and why?
2: Uh, like
1: favorite hero in in a story?
0: Yeah, same. yeah. Like fictional <laughs> fictional hero. And, and really, what I'd like to know is, you know, what is it that a hero embodies which you find particularly compelling? Or what is it about that hero um, that hero's character that you find compelling?
1: Um, the the kind of Indiana Jones type model of character, um, and Indiana Jones because he's awesome in the first and third movies, not mm-hmm. the second.
0: You didn't like the Temple of Doom?
1: It changed his character from from being from having faults to being too cool, and they, really? they made him a little too smarmy, in my
2: opinion. All right.
1: I love that mix of um, you know a character who gets by not only on skill but sometimes on, on luck, and they acknowledge that and are very grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't take themselves too seriously. Right. but are also, you know, obviously very skilled and talented. Right. So there's that kind of mix of the best of both worlds of being really awesome, but also not being um, completely undefeatable.
0: Mm. All right. So how do you feel about uh, James Bond?
2: <sighs>
1: you know, James Bond is just so cool. And I love the Bond movies because I love watching him be cool. Hmm the same as I like watching the Batman movies because I like
0: watching Batman be super cool sure um, so have you seen Skyfall
1: I have not yet
0: no. have not sh- okay well I won't won't give you any yeah, It won't c- have any spoilers but don't listen to last week's episode if you uh, if you don't want spoilers or at least not the piece where we talk about um, Skyfall but um, <laughs> right. who, who is your uh, who is your James Bond I asked this of uh, Satine Phoenix which was la- who was last week's guest but um, I'd be curious to know who your uh, Bond is Sean Connery, um, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, um, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and um, Daniel Craig.
1: I think Daniel Craig is the hottest.
0: So he's your Bond?
1: Yeah, because he's he's really hot. Um, (laughs) I, I have to admit, I haven't seen all the other Bond movies, so if we're going off Artistic Merit and Acting Chops... Hmm. I wouldn't be able to rate all of the other bonds because I, I haven't seen all of them.
0: Right. Uh, so. Daniel Craig I, is I, the hottest.
1: Daniel is the hottest. Sean Connery always made me feel kind of gross. Was um, uh, it Pierce Brosnan? Was was smooth. Yes. Was very it Was cool. So, but I think most recently, I like that they're kind of showing the uh, a James Bond as being a little bit dirtier and less. Suave, and also kind of making it a, a grittier action movie than mm. kind of a sillier uh, movie yes. with, you know, ridiculous female names. <laughs>
0: That's right. Which
1: yes, right. But we've done a lot of those, so I, I like that they're keeping the the brand alive by doing new things.
0: Hmm. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. I can. Uh, I can buy into that. Certainly. Um. So, what are your rules for, and what are the best role playing snacks?
1: At this point in my life and um, my age, it, it's, not, it's not Cheetos anymore. I mean, it's healthy snacks, mm-hmm. things that I feel okay, you know, eating instead of an actual meal for a couple hours, uh, nothing too messy or drippy and, you know, has to be handheld, no, no plates and silverware or anything.
0: Right, so you. So, so I, I made uh, I made chili for my role playing group uh, one time. That was our sort of our snack slash uh, slash dinner. Is that is that acceptable or is that crossing a uh, some sort of a social boundary there?
1: That would be not a social boundary. I think it would just be too messy. Like logistically, everybody has to have bowls and and utensils, and there's not space on the table, so they're balancing it in their laps, and that gets really messy. Um, I tend to have a lot of fresh vegetables uh, carrots and and broccoli and hummus and um, pretzel sticks and things like that Mm. things that are are easy to um, grab for across the table you don't have to clear little space in front of your character sheet to have a plate
0: oh goodness me I think this is another this is another um, manifestation of my disconnection from from what people do when they're role playing because it's (laughs) become apparent to me that Eating like uh, Maynard's wine gums and chocolate-covered pretzels and uh, chocolate almonds and and things like that in large quantities is actually unusual, rather than usual yeah. for uh, for all, Oh, that's that's a disturbing trend. It's, it's
1: it's a thing of the past for me. It's not something that I do anymore. And if it is time for you know a more substantial meal, then we will take a break so we can you know make space on the table or run and go get food. I've certainly had games where we stop in the middle and, um, you know, have a bunch of Thai food or go get pizza or something. Mm. Um, but it, it's hard to game and juggle that. And it's hard to eat with, you know, it's hard to eat pizza and roll dice. Mm.
0: It's, it's greasy. And yes, yeah, there are some, certainly some logistical challenges, but I think they're worth <laughs> overcoming. Um, so, so who do you prefer? Um, and you can think about it whatever way you like, Dumbledore or Gandalf?
1: Not read any of the Harry Potter books. Oh dear! I say, and I've just totally destroyed your your listenership. Um, <laughs> I've watched maybe two and a half of the movies. Mm-hmm. I think I've watched one movie more than once. Um,
0: <laughs> so you've so, watched one and a half movies.
1: Yeah, I've watched. Yeah, I've watched the one where he did the thing and all oh, the thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and there was magic and wands yeah, tra- and and somebody said uh booty bots ever flavored beans and yeah. there was somebody whose name you couldn't say and yeah. and that there was, was a lot
1: of CGI and then wasn't his house in a different place in the last movie you know what is the the survival rate for students at this school because it it really seems like a death trap <laughs> um so i have to go for for Gandalf just for knowing the character more um I think he's a pretty cool dude. Although he does a lot of kind of dick move things. You know, he calls for his his giant bird to come and save him when they really could have taken that across the mountains the
0: whole time. Yeah, have you read anything about why they couldn't do that? No, I have not. I sort of looked at Gandalf, um, and I played... Uh, Middle Earth role playing, like the first the first version of it, the Iron Crown Enterprises Middle Earth role playing, um, and I always talked about Gandalf being super powerful. In fact, one, he's like a demigod, one of the Astari um, And then I sort of thought carefully about what it is that Gandalf was was able to do, and I struggled to actually think about any magic that he did obviously did except for be able to blow cool smoke rings.
1: Yeah. He kind of, and he keeps a lot of his cards close to his chest, Mm. which is frustrating because he doesn't give out all the information. He kind of comes in and saves the day at the last minute. Mm. So he's not reliable, but I don't think that Dumbledore is either because, you know, all those professors seem to know what was going on and that someone was trying to kill Harry, but they pretty much had a, had a very, well, let's just sit back and see what happens. And, see if he if he can survive <laughs> you know they seem to always come in at the end and be like oh yeah no we knew what was going on we just wanted to see how you would handle
0: it Harry <laughs> alright so Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker you're not Which about to say I- you haven't seen the Star Wars films as well have
1: you <laughs> of course I've seen I've, I've seen the three that matter All right. Um. So, which one do I like more? Which one would I want to see in more movies?
0: Uh, well, no, I mean, which one do you like the best? Like, who's of those ones? Which is your favorite character? I mean, you can say which one's going to win in a fight if you like, but maybe difficult to reconcile those two uh, mythoses.
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely love Star Wars more than Harry Potter. I think Harry has had. More books and movies to to grow and change in a lot of ways, and to become what I can, what I hope and assume is a more multifaceted character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke it sticks in a lot of people's minds as being kind of a twerp, mm-hmm. and so it's hard to, for him to shake that. Even when he gets like a bionic hand, and you know, kind of has this weird thing for his sister, and like has a lot of kind of issues. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's still always hard, I think it's the haircut you know, it, mm. it's hard to not think of him as a twerp
0: yeah, that's a good word actually for, uh, for a Luke's color. yeah I agree with you that he sort of gets a little bit more um, he gets sort of cooler and Return of the Jedi because he wears black for a, for a kickoff. right, that's the first yeah. that's the first cool thing that he does um, and yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, that hair, I mean, that he, he retains that haircut um, yeah, yeah, like he
1: that's cool, but then he, he you know, he pulls back the, the hood and you're like, oh, it's...
0: <laughs> it's that same twerp. <laughs> yeah.
1: He doesn't have
0: a cool haircut, so it's just not working. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, staying on the Star Wars track then, um, because you appear to know something about that, um, <laughs> is, <laughs> is who do you prefer, Harris um, Harrison Ford as Han Solo or as Indiana Jones?
1: Oh, no. Oh, no. Um... Indiana Jones. Why? Well, it's later in his career. I think he owns the character a little bit more. Han is perpetually smirky. Um, He is, you know, it does annoy me that he is kind of that, that Rhett Butler, I'm going to come in and win your love because I'm a jerk to you Mm. way of, of being. So that always, it, it irks me when I read that in, in stories you know it irks me when any romance is suddenly like he was so mean to me I have to have him uh <laughs> it, it, <that's laughs> them together is arguing and then the arguing turns to passion you're like um not always yeah, not d- not always healthy passion
0: so sure sure, <laughs> I, I'll agree with you there but I mean that certainly does resonate doesn't it I mean it seems to be the, the one of the stereotypes is you know like why is that girl doing with that guy who's a Who's an asshole.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So why do we perpetuate that in, in books and movies by showing that as, as an option for, for women and sometimes the more exciting option.
0: But that doesn't jive against the the character of Leia though, does it?
1: No. I mean she's she she starts strong and she ends strong. I don't think she ever I'm pretty sure she would have been fine on her own the whole time.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I yeah. don't think she I don't think she needs Han Swan I think that she's definitely a, a you know like is definitely a match for him um, mm. in terms of um, the relationship but does does Han does he redeem himself
1: well he he by the end he, he buys in you know to to the big issue you know he's not just in it for himself he buys in for the the greater good and you know puts his neck out on the line for other people you know so you see that that character arc mm. um, so yeah I mean he changes at the end and, and becomes a, a you know a hero rather than kind of just a self-serving kind of smirky guy
2: mm.
0: so how do you feel about the I love you I know a line exchanged in
1: oh that's such a dick move <laughs> I yeah I mean it's 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 hilarious in the movie but it's a dick move <laughs> the only way the only way people could get away with it, away with saying something like that in a real relationship, is if you were both Star Wars fans.
0: <laughs> I just think they're such a good match for each other. It's almost like they can, it's like continuously jockeying for who's the alpha for right, the for right. the for the two of them. And you know, like I think that even in the even in the face of you know, like. Well, I mean I don't know how much Chance knows about being frozen in carbonite but you know like a possible death I suppose um, like yeah I don't know I, I don't I don't know if I see it quite the same way I think that if I was projecting myself into that situation I think I would I don't think I would like that line being delivered to me but for those two you know like that that whole constant sparring tension type thing for me, uh, yeah, I didn't quite see it as being a as being a dick move, but um, anyway, maybe we're not going to agree on that. Okay, so <laughs> who's your favorite then, out of um, Arwen or Princess Leia? Leia,
1: Leia, because because she could be all right on her own, hmm. you know, and and she's she's attracted to to Han, but they join kind of as equal partners in in you know this sparring that they're doing with each other you know you don't really feel like one kind of concedes to the other or one um you know is is their strength and and you know independence is lessened somehow Hmm. um it it frustrates me a lot in in i i've just read some really bad books recently that have have really pissed me off with (laughs) strong dependent Female protagonists who are doing their own thing and are really smart, and um, you know the one thing missing in their life is the one thing that they don't need, which is a man. Until they meet a man, yes and he's a jerk, and suddenly she needs him, and she's willing to give up everything to to be with him, and she doesn't care about the things she cared about before. And it it's it's really yucky to read.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you must have known that about Fifty Shades of Grey before you started reading the series, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, to go back to um, to your question, I think, I think Leia, you know, she stays strong the whole time through. Um, yes. And and she's she's you know feisty in a way that I think Arwen is a little too um, fantasy ethereal, mm. not down. Well, she's she's
0: an alpha for all right. I mean, those they should be treated yeah. with nothing but disdain anyway. Um. So, is is Princess Leia actually still a princess?
1: Yeah, I mean if your planet blows up are you still a princess of it, that's hard to say.
0: I know, that's like if a tree falls in the in the forest. Nobody's there to hear it, yeah. it does not make a sound?
1: I guess it kind of depends on if, if people still care about that that title. You know, what you know, it's like why are we so invested in what in, in, in the royal family and what they're up to?
0: <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have no, I have no answer. So, if you could be a mermaid or a centaur, which would you choose?
1: (laughs) It's, um, you know, I used to be in a in an improv group that sadly uh, we dissolved because we all went in different directions, and we were called Fifty Centaurs.
2: Oh, nice. uh,
1: Yeah, our um, our picture. You know, for our group, was, was uh, the torso of 50 Cent on a horse.
0: Nice.
2: Uh,
1: so I, I feel an affinity towards centaurs. Uh, and, you know, they can go land and sea because horses can swim. They... I
0: think. Sure. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the sea. The Poseidon, like here, have some horses? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'd probably go for that.
0: Do, do you improvise, you know, like uh, videos to some of the song, 50, fifty cent songs that didn't have their own videos at all?
1: We we did not. No, we didn't carry the uh, the pun much farther than that. Oh, um. we actually, we we kind of we lost enough of the original members that we decided to rename ourselves with all of our new members, and we changed it to uh, sixty minotaurs. Very <laughs> clever. And yes. we had the uh, the sixty minute. Uh, time watch timer with a, a bull's head as our logo and we all thought that was very clever as
0: well nice nice okay so if you had one uh, role-playing related wish what would it be
1: you know it'd be nice to just live in a perfect world where our hobby had everybody on the same maturity level i think things have gotten so kind of politically and emotionally charged with Just all of the uh, growing awareness of um, harassment and creeps at conventions, the way people slam on gamer girls, the the discussions of, you know, there are game designers who are women, there actually are a lot of them um, that we shouldn't even be having. It would just be nice if we were all on the same maturity level. It it feels sometimes like it's almost a little bit too hot a topic to talk about because you're afraid who you're going to upset. You know, if you're going to say the wrong thing and end up um, kind of getting on on one side or another of an argument that you're not necessarily comfortable being entirely on one side or the other.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Twelves. (laughs) That's it for episode 42 of Penny Red. For any questions or comments arising from the show, Daniel at HazardGaming.com. And until next week, keep talking the walk.